Ever wish there was a fast way to get up to speed on a complicated topic? Well, you're in luck. This series might just be for you. As providers, it's hard to stay on top of all the specialties in a multi-specialty world. So join us for the month of October and get back in the loop about everything that's happening in cochlear implants, from the fundamentals to what's changing with candidacy, patient characteristics, and the latest in tech. And you're going to hear it from the best of the best. Hit the subscribe button and be the first to know when an episode drops for this Medod Pro Doc Talk special series podcast on cochlear implants, sponsored by Envoy Medical. Hi, and welcome to Doc Talk by Medod Pro. Today we are getting to the final episodes of our cochlear implant series. We have Dr. Ho, who is a neuroautologist from Georgetown University, and of course, my co-host, Dr. Camille Dunn from the University of Iowa. Welcome to the both of you. Dr. Ho, why don't you introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background in regards to your expertise? Well, thank you again for having me. Um, So I'm Mike Ho. I'm a board-certified neurotologist. That just means ear and skull-based surgeon. And, and, and that's the other thing that I spend uh, part of my time doing. I run a lab that studies um, some of the fundamental mechanisms of hearing loss and how we can fix those things. I think my interests in technology really kind of center around both just an understanding of how that has, how introducing that into the systems, the, these hospital systems works, and also kind of my interest in improving our overall outcomes with cochlear implants because even though they're we got we have some pretty good outcomes with cochlear implants we still have patients who struggle in certain environments and so i I think we're always looking to do better in some way and um, some of these technological advancements um, may offer us that ability to make us that much better at least that's the hope down the line yeah i will um yeah, I kind of add to that, Mike. Thanks for that uh, great summary. Um, cochlear implants, right? They don't make your hearing perfect. Uh, and that's something we always counsel our patients that you're going to get a cochlear implant. It's going to help you hear in a lot of different environments that are not successful with your hearing aids. Um, but it won't make your hearing perfect, like maybe you remember it 10 or 15 years ago. Um, So is a lot of your research, then does it focus around signal processing changes within the cochlear implant, or is it more surgical uh, approaches? So I I think on the clinical side, I'm more focused on surgical approaches and how um, our, how technology can improve our ability to sense when we are maybe maybe causing some damage in the cochlea. And, um, you know, I I think uh, many of us, when we're inserting a cochlear implant, there's not that much tactile feedback. There's maybe a little, um, but there's not much. Um, We're inserting a very thin noodle-like electrode, um, regardless of the manufacturer, pretty much. And, um, And so, you know, I think we definitely better tools um, to sense that, um, that, you know, and so some of the, the new technology that we've incorporated over the years have been interoperative ECOG, use of 
um, use of imaging um, to kind of locate electrodes and to match uh, match electrodes to frequencies. So thinking about does does uh, place pitch matching matter? Um, yeah. And we, you know, and and I think we're beginning to see some of those benefits down the line. And and it doesn't always it's not always the same across all patients, but but I do think that you know, in the, the time that I've spent building these programs and running them with the team that we have, um, I, I think we found kind of a nice balance between being technology forward, but really offering our patients the best that we can offer along the way. So, but I do think that, um, uh, I think we always have to counter introduction of technology with what's what's the cost of the system how how does that affect that you know the economics of the 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 tech you know the the treatment that we're providing and yeah um, can we bill for some of this stuff that we're yeah. doing right because yeah. all of this takes maybe extra time in the or um and will you make up that time by bringing in that extra technology? How much experience do they have to have to be able to produce the same outcomes or is, or do they need that same experience? Do you, does that, I don't know how I'm asking it, but. No, I, I, I think what you're talking about is learning curve and um, what does it take to make a good cochlear implant surgeon? Yeah, um, and, how and important I, is that? I mean. You know, obviously we want it in the right part of the cochlea. We want it in the right scala. Um, there's research out there that demonstrates that, you know, if that um, electrode goes through the basilar membrane, the outcomes are going to be poorer. And, and how realistic do you think that is? Do you think that happens a lot in inexperienced? How do they learn? I, I think the answers to that are... Uh, I think that in the case of a cochlear implant, in many cases, we're dealing with normal anatomy. You know, this is something for me when I get into the OR, it's it's very, very um, straightforward because I, I keep doing it. And there's definitely an aspect of having done it for a while. But that being said, you know, I think uh, a surgeon who's, you know, done somewhere between 40 to 50 of them has, has seen a lot and, and really kind of knows how to do this surgery. New technology um, can help um, surgeons um, because it can give you kind of more of a, a second sense, so to speak. I think that many of us will say that some, sometimes this new technology makes us rethink some of the things we do um, yeah. that we've come to accept. Well, and I know our surgeons, they talk a lot about, you know, you mentioned ECOG a little bit ago, which you're monitoring um, the cochlear microphonic, you're monitoring the outer hair cell responses as you're inserting the electrode. And what we're hoping in that is that that will promote better hearing preservation. So we don't know, you know, I don't think, I think the jury's still out whether ECOG really matters or not. But if anything, I think what that does, like you just said, it makes us rethink what we're doing. And I think in this case, it slows the surgeon down. It makes them think about um, the trajectory that they're putting the electrode in. If that response drops, maybe they change 
change their approach. Maybe they pull the electrode back. Maybe there's some of the, they're thinking through the process, which may before have been become very streamlined. Main, you know, you kind of just maintain the same approach, but this kind of gives you a chance to think about it and change or, or manipulate what you're doing right in real time. Yeah, and, and you bring up a really good point. Sometimes we don't know how new how effective new technology is going to be in terms of improving our our results. And and like you said, for using intraoperative ECOG or electrocochleography, the jury is still out. Um, but we definitely have patients coming to us and asking us about, can you preserve my hearing? And right. I never pro I never promise. Um, I always under promise and we I think the number one rule amongst CI surgeons and really any ear surgeon is to under promise because Absolutely. we know that despite good outcomes with cochlear implants there's a lot of variation from individual to individual and some of it depends on our you know how things go afterwards and um, and I, this is kind of why I think it you know, working with technology is a team event. It's a team sport. Um, uh, you and um, the audiologist have to know, have to understand this technology as best you can and have to be working together uh, and communicating both in the OR and outside of the OR. Um, so I really think technology is something that if, if we apply it, it gets applied together as a team. Everyone has to be on board. Everyone um, has to be invested in its use and also understand when we don't need to use it. All right. Well, so far in this podcast, we have been, when we've been referring to technology, we have been referring to the implant itself. But I think with you two having this conversation, you are talking about different types of technology that are being used during the surgery that are not the implant. So would you give us some examples and help me understand that a little bit better? So I, I think there are several examples of this. There are, um, you know, um, Cochlear has a smart nav tablet that allows you to, um, you know, record how long, you know, when you're inserting and record how long you spend inserting. So just to go back to the point of slowing us surgeons down and making us think a little bit during mm -hmm. those insertions and um, take take a little bit longer. So so that's that's one example. There's a processor that uh, gets attached on the outside while we're inserting. Um, and so we're able to record responses from that electrode. Um, and in the case of intraoperative electrocochleography, um, so all that's actually capable through all three manufacturers in some form, actually. And um, we attach a processor out here, and there's also a um, speaker in the ear that we put in um, prior to the start of the case. And we can record responses from the electrode by playing tones through the speaker. And um, we are looking for, as, as Camille said, um, we're looking at the cochlear microphonic and looking at the outer hair cell response there as we're inserting that electrode. And 
Um, I, I think um, one of the bigger concepts that may have arisen, you know, in the last couple of years really is just this, the importance of, you know, maybe not just hearing preservation, but structural preservation and, and thinking about any kind of damage that you're doing and wanting to, even in cases where patients have very little residual hearing, thinking about preserving structure. So I think those are things to think about. You know, I think that there are some new devices that are right coming out onto the market now that we're starting to think about that might, might aid some of those processes. So Mike, that actually brings up a great point. Um, and you're right, there's, there's hearing preservation where patients have residual hearing that we think could possibly be usable in a format where the patient is receiving electrical stimulation and acoustic stimulation in the same ear um, after surgery because you've preserved residual hearing. And then the patient wears a cochlear implant processor that gives them both acoustic stimulation as well as electric. Um, and then typically they wear a hearing aid on the opposite ear and we call that EAS, electric acoustic stimulation. Um, the word's been hybrids been used, um, acoustic plus electric. So a lot of different words, but it's all referring to, we wanna try to preserve what they have acoustically. Now, the other thing you brought up is structural preservation. And I think that's more like you just said, they don't have a lot of hearing that we think we're gonna be able to stimulate acoustically after the surgery, but you don't wanna go in there and do more damage to an inner ear. I always think about a pediatric patient that this is certainly very relevant to them. I know, and I, I, I believe that um, some of the genetic therapies, the gene therapies that are uh, on the horizon, but yet still maybe 20 years away before they're ready to go. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong there, but we don't want to do damage to an inner ear during a surgical procedure that is necessary for this patient right now so they can develop language um, before, you know, while they're waiting maybe for a future technology down the road. Get the implant now because that's still a long ways away. Um, but we don't want to damage their ear so they can't take advantage of something. And so I think it's particularly relevant to babies that we're implanting. In their lifetime, there may be uh, changes in technology or changes in approaches or um, gene therapy that may benefit them. And one of the technologies that um, I'm familiar with, and I, and I believe you are as well, is the new robotic insertion, um, iota motion. Um, and we're using it here at the University of Iowa. We're using it for both hearing preservation um, and structure preservation. And I, I know there's some research out there that talks about um, the, you were talking about the uh, hepatic feeling that, you know, sometimes surgeons don't have that when they're inserting the electrode. And this may be able to provide um, some feedback to the surgeon and provide a slow, consistent insertion speed. How do you think that type of technology is gonna change what you do? So I think, um, you know, robots have revolutionized multiple areas of medicine. Uh, to talk about just otolaryngology, there's robotic surgery for 
cancer now, allowing more minimally invasive approaches. And in some ways, robots sometimes allow for potentially, uh, I think one of the advantages, they allow for a potentially more controlled insertion. Um, right. So so you can regulate the speed and the potentially kind of jitter of the electrode as it's going into the cochlea. And so I, I think we're still in early days in terms of seeing how that gets implemented and how it improves our outcomes, you know, if it does. And it, it may depend on the surgeon, but this may also make, you know, what we want is we want cochlear implants to make the outcomes a little more broadly accessible across all surgeons. And I do think that robotic insertions have the potential to be somewhat of an equalizer. And so I, I, I think that that's something that, um, so something for us to think about, you know, there are always going to be patients who are looking for, I, I think, the what they view as the top of the line, and and they're going to be the early adopting patients, but and the ones that seek that out. But but I think the the benefit for new technology is that eventually it helps improve the whole tide of surgeons. Um, hopefully, it's like when we were kids, we had, uh, you know, if you had a cell phone, the cell phone was like this big, and yeah. now cell phones are this big. And they're flat. I don't think I've seen a flip phone in a while. All this new technology evolves over time and um, makes things, you know, I think potentially easier. Um, and and I and I think that um, and I think in some ways it will help um, in the long run improve our understanding of what we're doing. Yeah, because I think it's going to be hard to know how this technology improved it. So for example, if we're trying to produce or promote structure pre preservation, not do damage to the inner ear, how do we know that? How do we know if it worked or it didn't? We might not know um, unless that patient, you know, donates a temporal bone, you know, hopefully 100 years later or 80 years later or whatever it is. Um, but as long as it doesn't hurt, I can't imagine that these technologies um, are not worth trying, right? One, yeah. one thing that I think is interesting to think about is, you know, with the number of barriers that, you know, to surgery, patients being nervous in general about a surgery. Just recently, I was in a conversation where we were talking to a physician about a surgery that was going to happen. And one of the questions that came up was, you know, do you use, are, are there robots or there's something that, you know, helps reduce error in the OR. And even from a patient perspective, I wonder if it's not doing harm and it's not even necessarily making things better, but is there, a, is there a perception of patients that it is safer or that it has a, you know, a lesser chance of error, you know, human error happening. If that perception is out there, it was just an interesting question that it so randomly came up in a, you know, in a general conversation of people that aren't thinking about these things. And I'm, you know, is, have, has everybody watched too much Grey's Anatomy? I don't, you know, I don't know, like everybody, but maybe just having that type of tech in there, does it start to help reduce yeah. Anxiety, anxiety in the patient's yeah. side. I, 
What do you think about that? Is there a possibility? That are are reluctant to move forward with cochlear implant surgery because, you know, I think they are scared. Sometimes it's just of a surgery and will some of these technologies, you're right, just kind of help reduce the anxiety and know and overcome some of the barriers that patients are reporting to why they don't want to move forward with um, a surgical procedure, a surgical option to help improve their hearing. What do you think, Mike? You know, I, I think that's one of the areas that I think that technology can help us. Um, and I do think some patients um, need help with overcoming that kind of that hill, that act, overcoming that activation energy, so to speak, to get them over that hill, so to speak. And, and um, I, I think in general, the most patients want to know that they're with, with a team that is going to be with them uh, through the entire process. And, and I think that technology can help us in that we have more tools at our, at our disposal to sense when things are changing. Um, and I and I think that's what we want. We want more diagnostics along the way, and and even after, um, you know, do we? You know, Camille talked about human temporal bones, and one of the things we see in human temporal bones is scarring around the electrode and scarring um, in different parts of the cochlea. And yeah. can we use some of the new technology that we have at our hands to be able to detect those changes? In, in a living person so that we can um, begin to think about interventions there. Um, yeah. Because we all have patients who we may have preserved hearing initially that may lose some hearing over the course of several months. And we, I think it would be great for us to know when that happens and, and rather and than- why. Yeah, and, and, and why. Um, and so to have some more diagnostics along the way, I think, um, is really helpful. And I'm hoping that some of the tools that are out now will be useful in those regards. I'm gonna dig just one more question and then I know we have to start wrapping this up, but this is such an interesting topic to me, circling back to the actual electrode. Some of the electrodes that are coming out now have steroid eluding mechanisms. So they take dexamethasone um, the electrode array is actually dipped in that, and then it eludes over so many days following the surgical implantation. Um, I mean, so there's in lots of different perspectives, lots of different um, roadmaps, they're being built to try to help improve cochlear implant outcomes. And I think, um, if there's any time that you wanna get a cochlear implant, it's now because we are using all of this to understand more, um, to just build on all the already great outcomes that you get with a cochlear implant. Yeah, and I think um, combining uh, biologics um, or uh, other kinds of treatments with uh, cochlear implants is, is happening now. And, um, we are um, going to see more um, therapeutics combined with cochlear implants. I think because um, 
we want to make the outcomes even better. Um, they're good, but they're they you know I think we definitely see some areas where we can improve. So I think that's something that um, is coming, and um, you know I think um, my group is very interested in that um, in those approaches and uh, that technology moving forward. So I think um, people are going to see that, um, and I don't necessarily think. Um, getting a cochlear implant now is going to preclude someone from having access to those later, potentially, too. Yeah, so, I you know, I, I think, um, you know, like like Camille said, you know, especially in kids, you want them to be developing language during that critical period, and we do not want them to not have access to language. So it's really important for that to be there and for a cochlear implant to be able to help them in those settings. Um, so, yeah. Well, I'm, it's also interesting, and I we really do appreciate your time. It amazes me to think when I was in graduate school to having a conversation today about we could be implanting kids today that we might be unimplanting. What is the word to about unimplanting? It's called explanting. Yeah, explant. I'm getting I'm getting smarter. Shortly, at least I know there's a word. The explant. So we can be doing some type of gene, you know, gene therapy or genetic therapy, or that we, there might be a therapeutic or biologics to be talking, to be talking about these types of things today versus the way you think about, we were thinking about cochlear implants. It wasn't that long ago. You know, the eighties was not that long ago when we were just starting this journey and to be thinking about where you're headed right now, not just with the technology aspects to assist in the OR and to help improve outcomes that way, but also just all of the other things that we just talked about. It kind of, it is moving fast for as slow as I'm sure that it feels to all of you that do the work every day. So we appreciate you coming on and spending time with us. And we're looking forward to seeing you in November in Florida, which will be great at the, at the Florida combined otolaryngology meeting down in Boca and Camille as always, it's so great to have your input. I often feel like I'm interviewing or two people for every podcast. And I know you're my co-host, but I feel like you, you contribute so much to every one of these episodes. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And I feel like I learn from all of the people we're bringing on. So Mike, thank you for coming on and giving us your thoughts. And um, I always enjoy visiting with you. I think you know that. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too. And it, it's nice to see you in person, Susan, um, or see you in 2D. Uh, but really, thank you for having me on this podcast. I appreciate the opportunity and really enjoy this, this area of, of medicine. So yeah, absolutely. Well, talk soon. Thank you for listening to this special series of Doc Talk by MedOdPro, sponsored by Envoy Medical.